Please turn with me in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, and we are in verse 1. Today is December 7th. It marks the anniversary of Pearl Harbor as we think of the great sacrifice to our country and the commitment and how that led us into World War II. Our country was changed in that 24-hour period. And here we sit, December 7th, 2014, and you have 24 hours today. And the title of the message is Today. So how many minutes is that? 1,440 minutes, if you start to think about a day in minutes. How many seconds would that be? Well, 86,400 seconds. So we're just going to pause in silence for 60 seconds. Just joking, gotcha. (laughs) So oftentimes we don't really take advantage of a day, but our days do form our life, don't they? As you spend and you invest your days, eventually that forms a lifetime. In our text in Hebrews 3, we find four references to today. Three times the word today is used, and then once the word daily is used. It's clear from God's heart that he wants us to apply these truths to our lives. Today, December 7th, to really stop and meditate upon these scriptures and put them into our life. As we look at scripture in totality, I think that Hebrews chapter 3 plays an important role in our lives. It goes back to the children of Israel under Moses's leadership. As they are coming through the wilderness, they get to the promised land, they hit the brakes. God doesn't hit the brakes. They hit the brakes through unbelief. They don't believe that God can bring them into the promised land. The message for us in Hebrews 3 is that Moses is greater, or excuse me, Jesus is greater than Moses. I don't want to get that one backwards. <laughs> Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses, through the law, couldn't bring God's people into the promise, but Jesus Christ could. It's always important in studying the scriptures to remember what was the background, the worldview of those that were receiving this letter for the first time. They were Hebrew Christian, Jewish Christians, that was easy for them to go back into the traditions, to go back into the law, to look to Moses instead of looking to Jesus Christ. So it's that strong exhortation to look to Jesus and not to look to the law. Verse 1 of chapter 3, but before we do that, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to study it this morning. We ask, as we do have 24-hour periods that make up our life, that we could respond to your truth. Jesus, we want to consider you, meditate upon you. We thank you for your grace that brings us into the promises of the Father. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling you've been studying with us, you know that we look at the word therefore. It's a connecting word. It takes us to what was prior in the text. Our study last week, we ended off with Jesus being the faithful and merciful high priest, that he suffered, that he was tempted like we are tempted. So in light of that, holy brethren, that's how God sees us. He desires for us to be holy, set apart for his purposes, that we're partakers of a heavenly calling. 
The moment that you receive Christ as your Savior, you entered into this heavenly calling. Now our mission's not primarily earthly, it's heavenly. When our life is done, when our days are spent, what's really going to matter? Our relationship with Christ. That's going to last for all of eternity. Also, it's going to matter how we invested in the kingdom. How we invested in eternity by sharing the love of Jesus Christ with others. Nothing else is going to matter. God's heart is to reach people. God's heart is for the city. For those that don't know Christ to come into a saving relationship. There's many that are not experiencing a heavenly calling. They're experiencing a hell-bound calling. And some are racing towards that at lightning speed. Others don't even realize that that's where they're headed. Last night was the Festival of Lights in our city. They estimated 80,000 people would be downtown for that ceremony. Of those 80,000 people, how many know Christ as their Savior? On the street that you live in, the apartment complex, how many people know Christ as their Savior? How many people are ready to enter into eternity? God's work is not done. By no means is this city reached. Would you join me in prayer for our Christmas Eve services and see that as a joint effort to reach our community for Jesus Christ? Jesus came. That's what we're celebrating. He sacrificed. And for us to not just see Christmas with our own ends in mind, but those that don't know Christ as their Savior. And pray about, God, who would you want me to invite? We're praying that people would come into the kingdom. We're praying that people would come to know Christ as their Savior. If you come here on a regular basis, you hear me every week at the end of each sermon give the gospel. We're committed to that as a church. And as you've heard it week after week, hopefully you know it. You know how to express and explain what the gospel is to someone. Yes, we pray that lost people would come in here and receive Christ as their Savior, but also we need to go out to them. We're the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're partakers in this heavenly calling and able to share the love of Jesus Christ through relationship. But if you're like me, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? It's easy to get consumed with the earthly calling. It's easy to get consumed with the struggles of this life and just trying to get through a week and trying to stay on top of those things. But we're reminded in Scripture this morning that we're partakers of a heavenly calling. Consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Stop and consider him. This word consider means to stop, to think, to really meditate, to fix your thoughts and your attention, your observation upon Christ. This is our greatest privilege, joy, and spiritual discipline. To take our mind to consider Jesus Christ. So I think worship is so important because as we're singing to, to the Lord, it's putting our attention upon Jesus Christ. Reading the word, it puts our focus upon Jesus Christ. We're considering him. And specifically, what do we meditate upon Christ this morning? Is He is the apostle. It's not a title that we often think about Jesus as, but what does apostle mean? It means sent out. And Jesus was sent out by the Father, the ultimate missionary, the ultimate ambassador. We think of the sacrifice that he made to just come into this world, God in human flesh. To try to put this in some kind of experience that we can relate to, we do think of missionaries that leave a lot of comforts, leave this culture and go into another culture, learn another language, sacrifice certain standards of living that we enjoy, all to reach people 
for the name of Jesus Christ. So I think of Kent and Becca Nolly. Kent's our missions pastor. Lord willing, they're moving to Uganda this summer to be missionaries in Gulu, Uganda. Stephen Gale are already out there. And having spent some time in Uganda, that's a big life change. There's a lot of sacrifices that are in place to be able to take a family of five with young kids and the preparations, and they're already in those preparations as we speak. But it's just a small comparison to what it's like for Christ to come into human flesh. He's the apostle. He's the ambassador. Probably 12 years ago, I had a chance to go to Managua, Nicaragua with our youth group when I was youth pastor here, and we visited a dump in Managua where people live in this dump. It's their home. It's this huge trash heap, not like the dumps that we have here, and you find people living inside of of this dump. And what if God called you to be a missionary to actually go live in that dump? That's an apostle. That's a missionary. That's a sacrifice that's being made. And Christ, he made a far greater sacrifice coming into this world, but it didn't stop there to the point where he became sin upon the cross so that we could become the righteousness of God. And we consider Jesus in this light. We also consider him as our high priest. The high priest in the Old Testament would be offering sacrifice for sin for the children of Israel. The high priest becomes the sacrifice. The lamb is slain for our sins so we can experience forgiveness. As you read the Old Testament, each high priest ultimately points to Jesus Christ. The high priest would represent the people to God. They would pray for the people. They would come as an advocate on behalf of the people. It was represented in their breastplate where the high priest would have the 12 tribes of Israel upon this breastplate, the names of the 12 tribes, coming and bringing God's people before the Lord. And Jesus is that for us. He represents us to the Father, but also the priest's job was to try to represent God to the people, and they didn't do it perfectly. But Jesus, because he is God, is the perfect representation of the Father. He's our confession. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a confession this morning, and bear with me, especially if you're not a football fan, but if you're a Broncos fan this morning, in just a second, can you give me some kind of sign that you're a Broncos fan? Some little hoorah that you're a Broncos fan. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Hooray! All right, there was a simple confession. I see some other colors represented this morning, and you're making a confession this morning that I'm a, I'm a fan of, of this, this team. And a confession is an agreement. And a confession is, I'm with them. And Jesus is the one who is our confession. Our faith is in Christ. Our allegiance is to Christ. Our confession is one with our mouth. We believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that that Jesus is Lord. But we also confess with our lives. We confess with the way that we live our lives. So our high priest, our apostle, Jesus Christ, he's our confession. In verse 2, who is faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. So Jesus was faithful to the Father. The reason that Christ came, the reason that he died, was out of love and obedience to the Father. He was obedient even to the point of death. What's contrasted in verse 2 is the faithfulness of Moses. And one of the ways that the author of Hebrews causes us to learn is by comparison. So we learn more about Jesus by comparing him to the angels, and Jesus is superior to the angels. 
Now we find more about Jesus by comparing him to Moses. To fully understand, we have to try to look at the lens, the way the nation of Israel at this time viewed Moses. The rabbis of this time, of this generation, taught that Moses was the greatest Hebrew who ever lived, to be revered above all other Jews, that in fact Moses was greater than the angels. It's hard for us to relate to this temptation to go back under the law, to look to Moses above Jesus Christ. But this is how generations upon generations upon generations of Jews grew up, is looking to the law, trying to live under the law of salvation. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Now there's freedom outside of the law, but yet a lot of their family and friends are still caught under the law. They're drawn back to that place. A quick review of the life of Moses is first he was chosen from birth. His life was spared by God working. And then who found him in the Nile River? Pharaoh's daughter. He goes from slave to now adopted into Pharaoh's family. He's raised, but he realizes in time that he is Jewish. He's a Hebrew. He identifies with his people stands up for his brethren, ultimately causing him to have to flee Egypt to go to the wilderness where for 40 years nothing happens in Moses' life. Ever feel periods like that? Just watching these sheep. Just watching these sheep. What happened to this calling that God put upon my life? Then God speaks to him through the burning bush. The bush is on fire but not burning. The bush is not being consumed. God speaks to Moses, I am that I am. I'm the great I am, the all-sufficient one. Moses, you're to go back to Pharaoh and let Pharaoh know he needs to let my people go. The nation of Israel was in bondage to Egypt. So he was chosen, he was called, but he's deliverer. God uses Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. Then he's prophet as he leads them through the wilderness. God speaks to him in a unique way. He's the lawgiver. He's the one who brings the law to the children of Israel. He's the historian. He wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And so we see Moses' faithfulness and why Israel was drawn to him. But the point is not Moses. It's how Jesus is greater than Moses in verse 3. For this one had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, speaking of Jesus. And this is why. Insomuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Isn't that true? The architect, the builder, has more honor than the person who lives in the house. Moses lived in the house, but Jesus built the house. This phrase house is not referring to a physical structure, but a group of people. God calls his church a house. God calls his church a dwelling place. It's not a physical building, it's his people. David, when he wanted to build the temple, he asked God, God, can I build you a house? This is referring to the nation of Israel. Moses didn't build the nation of Israel. He didn't build the Jewish people. Jesus Christ did, and so he's greater. In verse 4, for every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. So God is the one that not only built the nation of Israel, but has built all things. Jesus has built all things, so he's greater than Moses. In verse 5, and Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were spoken afterward. Please don't miss this. What was the point of Moses' life, his writing, his teaching, the message that God had given to him? It was Jesus. 
The purpose for the giving of the law is to show us that the law can't save us, that we need a savior. Even from the Passover, when the Passover lamb was slain, it pointed to Jesus Christ and his crucifixion for our sins. So if the nation of Israel studied the writings, the message, the life of Moses, and not seeing what would come afterwards, they missed the, the whole entire point. In verse 6, But Christ, as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Jesus is not only the builder of the house, but he's the son of the house. Moses is not the son of the house. He's not the only begotten. This is a position of honor that's given to Jesus Christ. We see this a little bit in the parable that Jesus told about how a man owned a home. He left and gave it to a steward to take care of it. And the steward decided to keep all of the profit of the house to himself. So the owner of the house sends a servant to collect some of the profits that he was due and they beat up the servant. So he sends another servant, same things happens. And in the mind of the owner of the house, as he said, now I'll send my son. The son has the honored position. You would listen to the son, but then they killed the son. It speaks to how Jesus Christ was killed when he came. He has this position of honor. Notice here in verse six, it says over his house, whose house we are. Jesus dwells in you. Isn't that amazing? We are the house of God. We are the dwelling place of God. Not in the temple any longer, but inside of God's people. Here's an exhortation to hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm till the end. What's our confidence? It's the gospel. It's that Jesus was crucified and rose again for our sins. And you hold on to that throughout your whole life. It's important to continue to believe in the gospel for salvation. Yes, there was a moment of conversion in our lives for those of us that have received Christ where we put our faith in Jesus Christ, but you don't move away from that. You don't get to a place where you go, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but I also believe in Buddha, and I believe in Muhammad, and I believe in all of these other things, and it all works out into the end. No, I believe in Jesus Christ, that he's God, and he's the only way for salvation. You, you can't drift from that. It's important to continue to trust in that confidence and that hope that's firm until the end. This isn't works-based salvation. This isn't saying that you get saved by your works, but it is an emphasis on preserving persevering, excuse me, in our faith and trusting in the gospel. Let me put this in just very frank terms. I would be concerned in my life today about my eternity if I didn't believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Today, I don't care what the last 20 years were like in my life. If I don't believe today that Jesus died for my sins and rose again, if I can't declare that he's my Lord, that's a scary place to be in and I need to get in the right place. So what am I saying to you? I'm saying, are you at that place this morning? Can you say, yeah, I have my struggles, I have my sins, but I know this, I know Jesus loves me. I know that he died for me. I know that he rose again for my sins. And if your heart's not in the right place, guess what? Today's the day to make it right. Today's the day to reaffirm that faith in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice. What we're going to find for several verses here is a quote from Psalms 95. 
taking us back to Israel's history when they're in the wilderness. And the reason that this is being brought up is to show that Moses and the law couldn't bring the children of Israel into the promised land, but Joshua did. And Joshua points to Jesus Christ, and Jesus is the one who brings us into the promises, not the law. I think that this will encourage, possibly transform and change your Christian life if you get this this morning. That you don't get God's promises and blessings and anointing in your life through your works. It's not through your devotional life. You don't go to the Lord and go, God, I finished the Bible in a year, so bless me. I fasted, I prayed, so bless me. I tithed, so bless me. It's through faith. We go, God, I know you're good. I know your promises, so I'm trusting for you to bring your goodness and kindness into my life based on who you are. It's by faith that we come into the promises of God. Rest is mentioned 11 times in chapter 3 and 4. It's the rest that we have in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's not through the law. It's not through rules. It's not through regulations. But a lot of times we think that way. We live that way. And that's why this is given to us. So verse 7, the Holy Spirit speaking through Psalms 95. Today, if you will hear his voice. The first mention of that 24-hour period. Church, God's speaking today. He's speaking to us today. And the key to entering in and abiding in what he has for our lives is to listen. So here's the first point I want you to consider. There's four of them this morning, and it's this. Listen carefully to God and to others. Listen carefully to God and to others. If I'm reading this correctly, you consider it yourself as well, as God is speaking every single day. He's desiring to communicate with me every single day. The question is, am I listening? So how does God communicate? The primary way is through the word. We're going to have a difficult time hearing his voice if we never crack this open. God wants to speak to you through the word. Open it up. Read it. Allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate it in your heart and in your life. This is the primary way that he speaks. He speaks through his creation, revealing his glory. Scripture tells us that he speaks through a still small voice, through the Holy Spirit, through circumstances in our lives. But the primary way is right here. Jesus said that he's our good shepherd and the sheep hear his voice. Israel did not go into the promised land because they stopped listening to the voice of their father. They stopped gazing upon him. Listen carefully to him. So far in the book of Hebrews, when it's come to warnings, the warnings have been connected to the way that we hear. When was the last time that you heard God's voice? Where you opened up the scriptures and you knew God spoke to you through the scriptures? Maybe through a message here at church or on the radio or a podcast or in the middle of the day, you, you, you heard God's voice. Many times we're just too busy to hear God's voice. We've got to slow down the velocity of our lives. We get robbed of time in the Word. Worship is the first thing to go. This time of year can be absolutely brutal with the expectations of Christmas. 
I made a huge mistake yesterday. I went to Hobby Lobby. <laughs> and King Supers right, right after that. It was a madhouse. You could see the stress all over people's faces. I tried to step back just a little bit and all these lost puppy dogs trying to find this one item that they were sent there to get. And the Lord bless all the workers. If you work at Hobby Lobby, the Lord bless you. I know it, it's stressful. Got people coming around you saying, hey, do you know where this is? Do you guys have Play-Doh and all these other things that, that I'm, I'm trying, trying to find? And we can go through this whole, whole entire month and man, we haven't stopped to, to hear God's voice. We haven't been in his word. I think that we're going to get much more done in life and accomplished in life if we would even take 15 minutes during the day, half hour during the day, and say, God, this is your time. I need to hear you. I know my heart goes to a dangerous place when I'm not hearing God's voice. There's nothing like the Word of God. The Word of God pierces, and it convicts, and it it brings life. The voice of God brings transformation. It's personal. Today, if you will hear his voice, take time to to hear his voice, but also to listen to others. If you would jump down with me to verse 13, we're going to skip ahead a little bit because it deals with listening. Verse 13, it says, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. We'll deal with the second half of that verse in just a moment, but we need to be listening to God's voice, but we also need to be listening to other people's voice brothers and sisters in Christ. This verse tells us to exhort one another daily. Again, another reference to a 24-hour period of time. God wants this to be part of every day for us. That means if he's instructing us that it has to be possible. How is it possible that brothers and sisters in Christ could be exhorting us daily? It means that we have to be in relationship with other Christians. That's the only way. That's the only way that this is going to be fulfilled is if Christians are part of our daily life. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. Maybe you've got this idea of it's me and Jesus and nobody else. No, it's you and Jesus and the body of Christ. And it takes humility to realize I need the body of Christ. I need people speaking into my life. You may not realize it this morning, but you have a, a blind spot in your life. And I have a blind spot, many blind spots in my life that I don't even realize. I've been studying some caterpillars. I know that's kind of geeky, but some caterpillars got my attention. And they're called processional caterpillars, processionary caterpillars. And the reason is, is once a year, they link up in a processional and actually link together. And if you look online, look them up online, you see this long train of caterpillars. And a scientist decided to take these caterpillars and put them on the top of a flower pot in in a a complete circle where they were just linked long enough to where there was room for them to go around in a circle with food and water right in the center of the flower pot. And he said, I want to see how long it'll take for just one caterpillar to break off of the chain. You know how long they went around? Till death. Not one caterpillar had the courage to say, let's break off of this train. Let's do something different. And we may have patterns in our lives that are leading to death and destruction, but we don't see it. 
And it takes a brother or sister in Christ to go, do you realize this about yourself? You should take a look at this. And I wonder if we're open to those kind of conversations. Are you able to be exhorted? So if you're married and you're married to a believer, this is the best place for this to happen on on a daily basis. Where we would love each other enough as husband and wife to speak the truth to each other. So what does that look like? It should be done in love. It should be done in tenderness, but it needs to be done. What happens when your spouse says, do you have a second? Have you considered this? No, I don't have a second. I haven't considered this. And have you considered all this stuff in your life? You know, who are you to tell me all all of these, these kind of things? And sure, once we begin to go there with someone else, we need to be willing to hear it in our own lives But you'll only grow to a certain point if no one can speak into your life. If you're single, having those relationships with other believers and taking that time to really be a part of one another's life where someone knows you well enough where they can exhort you, they can can challenge you. We, We need to receive it, but we need to be willing to give it to others. So how does this look in our lives? How do we make this happen in our lives? It takes time, investing, in relationship with believers, even inside of our own home, even inside of friendship. I would encourage you to invest in it in some organic ways with relationships that you're involved with with other believers. But for some of you, you may need to look for some avenues to have that in your life. And you may be saying, is there opportunity inside of this church? Absolutely. There's some small groups on the church's webpage. You can look and get involved in a small group that meets in a home. You could pray about leading a small group. We have more people that want to get into small groups and we have small group leaders and the Lord may be working in, in your life to host or, or lead a, a small group. You may get involved in men's or women's studies. It's in the bulletin. Maybe you've heard it for years. Men's studies are starting. Women's studies are, are starting. And get involved. Those, those meet in small groups. There's a dynamic singles ministry that takes place in, inside of this church. If, you, if you're single and you're saying, I know what singles ministries are about They're meat markets and I'm not going, you know. No, they're focused in on Jesus Christ. And there's one for some of you that are a little bit older. And then there's one that's for younger. You're in that college and career type of age, that 18 to 30 type of age. And then there's another that meets on Monday that's for a little bit older, older group. But it takes a step of saying, I need to be in relationship. We may be the most relationship deprived culture that's ever existed. I, see, I think we see people craving for it by the explosion of social media. We are designed to be connected with people. And so we don't have face-to-face communication with people. So we say, well, I, I'm going to just do it in any way that I can possibly get it. And sure, social media has its place. And it's a tool that can be used. But it still cannot replace real conversation face-to-face with a person where you bear your heart to one another. We need to listen to God. We need to listen to His voice. We need to listen to each other as well. Let's go back to verse 8. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial, in the wilderness. This refers in the book of Numbers when the children of Israel came to game day. It was time to go in and take the land. There was 12 spies and only two came back and gave the report of faith. The other 10 came and gave the report of facts. We're outnumbered. They were looking at their own ability instead of God's ability. Joshua and Caleb were the two that gave the good report. 
The other 10 spies got the audience of all of the nation of Israel and through unbelief, they didn't go into the promised land. And God says here, it was through a hard heart. Verse nine, where your fathers tested me, tried me and saw my works for 40 years. God felt tested. God felt tried because Israel had seen God's work for 40 years in a supernatural way, starting with a deliverance from Egypt. Then coming to the Red Sea, it was parted. Manna from heaven every single day to fill them and feed them in the wilderness. That'd be kind of nice, huh? The kids wake up. Hey, you hungry? Go get some manna. Here it is. You can have it. They got kind of tired of manna, though. What did they want? They wanted some meat. I can relate. I like meat. The other day I was in the grocery store and I saw this little package. It was about this big. And it said meat. And it was a meat substitute. Some kind of tofu thing. Now, no offense if you're into that kind of stuff, but I was like, this is not neat, okay? (laughs) This is lame. That's what this is right here. So I understand the desire to have some meat, but they did it in a grumbling and complaining way. And so they grumbled and complained, and God in his grace gave them quail from heaven in order for them to have meat. Water came from a rock. There was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that led them. God's works were more than manifest to them, but it didn't lead to trusting in the Lord. And that tried the Lord. That tested the Lord. It tested his, his patience. In verse 10, therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. It was a heart issue. Their heart was what was going astray. Their heart is what was becoming hardened and they didn't know the ways of God. We can be around the ways of God. We can even experience his working and provision, but yet not know him. How many people throughout history and even today currently experience God's provision in their life? It's from the Lord, but yet they don't know the Lord. And that's what happens to this generation of Israel. They didn't know his ways, even though they were experiencing it. So verse 11, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Of all the generations in the Bible, this may be the most sobering because they missed out on the blessing that God wanted to give them. They missed out on the promised land that God had promised for 400 years because of their unbelief. They didn't enter into the rest. They were still God's children. God didn't abandon them, but they wandered in the wilderness for the rest of their lives. They, they died in the wilderness, not the place that we want to be. Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So this is the second warning in the book of Hebrews. We're to beware. We're to stop and pay attention. Lest we have a heart of unbelief, and that heart of unbelief leads to a departing from the living God. Now there's a question here that's brought up by the text, and it's, can you lose or leave your salvation? And I personally believe that you cannot lose your salvation once you're truly saved. Because the Bible says you're born again. So how do you be unborn again? There's many promises that we're in Christ's hand. And not only in Christ's hand, but we're in the hand of the Father. That he's faithful when we're faithless. So what does this look like? Well, for some, maybe they never truly came to know Christ as their Savior. They never truly 
confessed from a heart conviction. It was simply the words, and over time, that's revealed. For others, they are in a period of wandering, and God's going to bring them back. They're in a temporary season of departing. My pastor growing up said, he put it this way, when you truly give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, there's a rubber band of God's love that's put around you. So let's say for illustration, this is God, this is us. There's a rubber band of God's love from us. Unbelief comes into our heart. We go through a season of departing. We're going to come back. The question is, how hard, right? So you want to test that band and you want to depart and you want to go here and here. If you're truly God's child, he's going to bring you back. The question is, is how hard is it going to be? But here's the heart of this passage. Why would we want to depart from the living God? Why would we want to spend any day out of his presence? Why would we not want to continue to trust in his, his saving grace? Verse 13, but exhort one another daily while it's called today. We'll look at the second half of the verse, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Second point is see sin for what it is. See sin for what it is. Sin is deceitful. It's deceitful. It promises life but brings death all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Eve is tempted by Satan, and Satan is saying to her, look, if you eat this, you'll be like God. Ah, who doesn't want to be like God? If you eat this, you'll have the knowledge between good and evil. That sure sounds good. Satan was deceiving her through sin. When sin is presented to us, it's not, here's death. This is going to destroy your life. It's going to hurt your relationship with God. It's going to hurt your relationship with others. It's always presented in this positive light. So something that we need to do daily. We need to hear from God daily, and we need to see sin for what it is. We need to understand that it's deceitful. And then notice what happens when we give in to the deceitfulness of sin. And this is number three, is our hearts are hardened. So keep your heart soft. Keep your heart soft. Have you ever wondered, how's my heart so hard? Why don't I care about the things of God? Why don't I care about things I should care about? Well, sin has a result, and the result is a hardening. Three times in this passage, hardening is mentioned. The reason they didn't trust God is because their heart was hard. Sin had taken over in their heart and in their life. So how do you keep your heart soft? Isn't that the important question? Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it flows the, the issues of life. I think one very important thing is what we saw at the beginning of our text and that was to consider Jesus. Keep thinking about him. Keep meditating upon him. Hear his voice and respond to it. Be in the word of God. God's word and applying it to our lives, it keeps our, our heart soft. Be in a place where we're regularly confessing and repenting of sin. We want a short leash with God. We want God to just be able to call our name and get our attention. Lord, you're right. Pride is in my heart. Lust is in my heart. Covetousness is, is in my heart. I'm going to till the soil. I'm going to break up the foul ground. I'm going to confess my sin to you. When we do sin, to have a broken and contrite heart before the Lord but be careful. Keep your heart soft. We're capable of so much wickedness once our heart gets hard. Why do people walk away from a marriage that they've been in for 40 years and have kids and grandkids together? The bride of their youth. How does that happen? 
the husband of their youth. It happens from a hard heart. You may wonder, well, why does divorce happen? Adultery. No, hardness of heart. It's hardness of heart that leads us to adultery. It's hardness of heart that says, I don't love you anymore, so I'm going to go with, with this person. All sin comes back to this place of hardness of heart. Keep your heart soft. And then verse 14, for we've become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. So again, this encouragement to continue believing and trusting in the gospel. Verse 15, while it said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is the second time this is mentioned in the same chapter. Why? For the point of emphasis. Whenever somebody tells you the same thing twice, it's for emphasis, isn't it? Dad, dad. That's my kid saying, dad, I want your attention. I I need you here. Eric, Eric. That brings me back memories to my childhood. You know, your name gets called twice by your parents. If it gets up to four or five times, you're dead, you know? (laughs) God's saying, hey, look, stop and listen. Today, right now, today, this morning, hear my voice, respond to it. Don't harden your heart. Verse 16, for who having heard rebelled indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Here's the point. The law didn't transform the heart. Rules and regulations didn't transform the heart. They were led by Moses. So now you're a Jew who's saved, who's being tempted to go back under the law, and you read this and you go, wait a second, Moses couldn't lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Verse 17, now with whom was he angry 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpse fell in the wilderness? This is the longest death march in history. They didn't enter into the promised land, then they wandered for 40 more years, dying off in the wilderness. Verse 18, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Our last point of consideration this morning is take God at his word. Take God at his word. What kept him from the promised land? Unbelief, not trusting God's promise that he was bigger than these giants, bigger than these walled cities, that he was so good, so kind, so strong, so faithful that he could bring them into the promised land. Why did Joshua and Caleb get to enter in to the rest? Because they believed God at his word. Of all of the sins that would keep the children of Israel out of the promised land, it was unbelief. Think about what they did in the wilderness. Mass fornication. Mass sexual sin. God doesn't say, because of your sexual sin, you couldn't enter into my rest. Gross idolatry on a national level. After being taken out of Egypt, Moses goes to seek the Lord. He's gone for a while. They make a golden calf. Aaron, the high priest, does that. God doesn't say, hey, look, you guys are not going into the promised land because of your idolatry. These guys were really good at grumbling and complaining. Murmur, 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 all the way through the wilderness. It tries my patience just reading it let alone God hearing that for 40 years. And God's so patient, he's so kind, he's so loving. He says, even though you're murmuring and even though you're complaining 
And even though you had a season of fornication and a season of idolatry, I'm ready to still give you the land. But they couldn't believe it. They couldn't trust it. So then they didn't inherit it. And this is what I really want you to hear this morning is some of us fall into that same trap. We go, you know what? God can't bless my marriage. I lost my temper at my spouse this week. God can't work in the lives of my kids because I fail as a parent. I keep hearing all these needs in the church of, and I want to respond. I, I want to serve, but man, if they only knew the kind of struggles that they have, there's no way that God could use my life. I hear this, that God wants to reach people at my job, but I'm just, I have too many struggles I couldn't reach out. If your focus is yourself, if your focus is myself and our performance, you're never going to enter into God's rest. You're never going to see the giants fall. You're never going to see God's plan unfold for your life. Rest comes through grace. Rest comes through the finished work of Jesus. Jesus brings us into the promise. And the gospel declares to us our sins are forgiven. So we desire to live a holy life, not out of responsibility, but out of response to his grace and his kindness. And if we get that, we truly experience the rest and the joy and the gratitude of the Lord. But if there's unbelief, if there's unbelief because we're focused on our performance, we're focused on our ability, then we won't enter into the things that the Lord has for us. What have we seen this morning? Today, listen to God and others. Hear his voice. Make that priority number one, today and every day. God, I want to hear your voice. Our lives will change if that's our top priority. God, I've got to find time to hear your voice today. God, would you, you speak to me? Hear his voice, allow others to speak into your life. Today, see sin for what it is. If you're in that place where you're trying to argue and protect sin and build your case for why it's right. No, see it for what it is. It's destruction. Don't be like those caterpillars. You're on a train of destruction. Today's the day to get off. Every day, let's see sin for what it is. Today, keep your heart soft. You have control over your heart. You can choose for it to be hard. You can choose for it to be soft. May we keep our hearts soft, and then may we take God at his word. Let's trust him. Let's trust who he is. Let's trust the blessings and the grace that he wants to bring into our lives based upon who he is, not based upon who we are. Let's pray together. Fathers, we've spent time in your word. Lord, it's so good. It's so refreshing. And Jesus, we thank you that you're the captain of our salvation. It's through your death and resurrection that you work in our lives. And we do ask, God, that you would work in our marriages based on your grace, that you would bless our children and our relationship with them by your kindness, that you would allow us as a church family to be an effective witness through, through your grace. Would there be a, a fresh moving and an anointing of, of your Holy Spirit that doesn't come because of how much we've prayed, that doesn't come because of our fasting, Lord, but it becomes because of your goodness. And we believe you, we trust who you are and your desire to work in and through our lives. And our greatest source of rest is knowing that we're saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ. 